My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will declare your righteousness, yours alone. Psalm 71, 15, and 16. You can tell a lot about a person by what they talk about. I mean, people all around us, they're talking about sports, they're talking about movies. Maybe they're talking about money or work or stress or fears. Maybe they're talking about family. I mean, think of all the things around you that people talk about all the time. The question here is, what do you spend your time talking about? Hey, Tim. Can you cut that off, please? Hey, um, so that was the wrong bump. Um, so, um, so that was last week's bump, and I really want you to see this week's bump, okay? So Tim's going to get that ready to go with this week's bump, and while I um, give you a little bit of instructions about the message for today, all right? Because I really do. I want, I want you to see this week's bump. You, you saw that one last week. Um, if you have your Bibles in front of you, would you take that out for a minute? Maybe you got your iPad or your iPhone. I want to invite you to grab that. We're going to be reading from uh, several different scriptures, but if you've got um, a Bible in front of you, why don't you automatically go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5, because that's where we're going to start today, Luke 5. And then also, um, you've got that message outline, so I want to invite you to grab that, and I'm going to invite you to grab a pen. Now, you have pens located right there in your seat right in front of you. And um, now this week, uh, there's, there's uh, some fill in the blanks. Yes, that's why, one of the reasons you need a pen. And did you look at the outline? How many points are there? A lot. Okay, thank you very much. There's 12 points. And so you're gonna, I'm going to teach fast today. But what I'm going to invite you to do is fill in a bunch of fill in the blanks. And so you're going to need that pen. But I'm also going to be asking you to underline some stuff and to take some notes out in the, in the edge of your margin. So please grab a pen because I think you can get more out of the message today if, you really, uh, or you, if you're taking notes with us. Now, a um, couple more things. There's a little, that little mauve sheet of paper inside your worship guide. Um, well, let, me, let me talk about that for just a minute. All during this message series called Reset, we've been talking about what it means to God, for God to reset us. And, you know, what does that mean for us to be reset? We have resets all around us in our technology uh, right now. And um, I'll give you a, a moment of reset in my life this week. I've been telling you about my iPad, right? And my iPad a few weeks ago slowed down and would not really operate. So I did a, a whole, you know, turn it off, turn it on, reset the whole thing, and then it started working fast. Well, just this week, the thing slows down to a crawl. And it so happened that Julie, my wife, is sitting right by me, and we're trying to look up something, we're, we're, we're trying to look at it together, and it will not work. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me that Apple put out a new update. Did you, you know what I'm talking about? And there was this new I said, babe, I got to reset the thing. I got to do the update, and then I think it'll work. And sure enough, I, I did the whole reset. I did the Apple you know, software thing, and my iPad just back working fast again. And you know what occurred to me? This thing about reset, the cool thing about reset is God will, he, he doesn't reset us once, hallelujah, right? He is there to reset us over and over and over again. And so week one, what, remember what we talked about. And by the way, if you're new here and you're joining us on this fourth week, let me real quickly kind of recap what we've been talking about. Week one, we said the, the, the most fundamental, the foundational of all resets starts right here. It starts with our heart. And we read scriptures about how we as human, humans can so easily start to raise up other things we trust in. By the way, the Bible calls that idolatry. Other things we trust in instead of trusting in God. And we've got to have a reset to remember who are we supposed to be trusting in. Not all that stuff and not even ourselves. 
We're supposed to be trusting in him. And we also read scriptures when it comes to our heart about how easy it is for us to start taking on impurities of the world and how God wants us to reset our hearts towards purity. And so, so many of you, along with me, we wrote a reset heart prayer and we put it up on our prayer wall, which we'll build in a little while. And we just wrote a, wrote a reset prayer. God, something about you and me. We, we prayed a bunch of different prayers about resetting our hearts. Week number two, we talked about resetting our minds. Once your heart is in a good reset place, we talked about how your mind can be so filled with junk. It can be so filled with negativity. It can be filled with the things of the world and how God wants us to get the mind of Christ and take every thought captive to Christ. And so we prayed over our minds that God would do a reset over our minds. And again, we prayed these reset prayers and stuck them in the reset wall. Last week, we talked about how once God's reset our heart, and once God has reset our mind, he then can reset our voices. And we talked about wanting to be those kind of people who talk about God's power and his saving work. The Bible said, remember, all day long. We're, we just, we're, our mind is on Christ, our mind is on the things of God, and out of our mouth comes the fullness of our heart. And so we talked about having, being the kind of people who, who just sound differently, and our voices are reset. And so many of us, I mean, let's be honest, on week three, you know what we were doing? By that point, just like today, we were, some of us were praying reset prayers still over our hearts and our minds, and we were adding our voice. Now today I'm going to talk to you about resetting your hands. Now, everybody, everybody look up here for a minute. Are you getting the progression? Are you seeing it? How once your heart is reset, then your mind can be reset, and then your mouth can be reset, and then your hands. Your, your, you know, your words actually dictate what your hands are doing. Your mind actually also dictates what your hands are doing. So today we're going to talk about what it would look like for us to be reset to do the works of God in everywhere we are, in, with church, with, with your workplaces, with your neighborhoods. What would it look like for us to be reset with our hands? And at the very end of this message today... I'm going to invite you on this last Sunday of this series to pray whatever your final reset prayer would be in this series. And that might be about your heart. It might be about your mind. It might be about your voice specifically today. It might be about your hands, your, your calling, your ministry, your gifts. So at the very end of our message, we're going to invite you to do that same thing. So while I'm preaching today, I'm going to invite you to maybe jot a, jot a prayer down, and then together we'll pray at the reset wall. Now before we dive in, remember I said I want you to see the bump, right? Let's watch that bump together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. The amazing thing about being reset by Jesus is that it actually begins to impact what we do. We all spend our time doing something. So what if we devote the action of our lives to God? You see, Jesus wants to reset your hands.
So what does that look like? What does it look like for God to reset your hands and then for him to do it over and over and over in our lives together? Luke chapter 5. I want to share a story with you. And um, it's a story that you've probably heard before. I'm going to read fast because i got a lot to share today, okay? Um, oh, 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 I forgot something. Okay, oh, man. Did you notice the sanctuary was different, right? Today is a ministry fair, okay? And, I, and, and so today, after worship, we're going to invite you to move around this room and to see all the different ministries happening in, in our church. Now, not every ministry is represented, but a ton of ministries are in this room, and there are going to be leaders who are going to be wearing these little green neck doohickeys, and, um, and we're going to invite you to go see a, a bunch of different ministries in the room. So... Can I just tell you real quickly before we dive into this stuff about our hands and service, I want to tell you that some of these ministry teams have been waiting and praying for this week, and here's what they've been praying for. They've been praying for you to drop by their table. They've been hoping that you would come by and, and maybe you would just learn about their ministry. Maybe God's not called you to do anything but to know about their ministry. For example, over here is our, our finance team. You know, most of us would say, finance, not me, whatever. But, but how about you drop by there and learn what the finance team does? There are going to be some people over there. Way over here is going to be our worship team. You know, they've set up a booth. Maybe you would say you're a musician and you, you, you have some gifts there. Drop by that booth over here. Just a couple of things I want you to look for. I want to give you a couple of challenges, all right? There's one booth that has some, every booth is giving away stuff, all right? Every booth is giving away stuff. And there's a little bag that's, uh, somehow I already, no, here it is. There's a little bag that many of you got in your worship guide this morning, um, and, and we're inviting you to put your little pamphlets in that bag and put your little gifts, your little stuff in that bag. One table is giving away packs of gum, and it says something to the effect of, this is, you know, your mission if you choose to accept it. And so why don't you see if you can find that little gift, okay? One team is looking for drivers. I mean, any of us can probably drive, right? Maybe you would find the team that is looking for somebody to be a driver, figure out where that one's at. Keep looking, all right, until you find that team. There's one team that is looking for just people to welcome other folks, to be a smiling face. And I bet you might be able to do that. So, hey, when worship's over today, we've, we've all prayed at the reset wall. I want you to invite you to hang out for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, going booth to booth to booth, learning about the ministries of our church. Can you do that for me? Yeah. Yes, you can. All right. Hey, Luke chapter 5. Let's read it together. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, beginning in, um, in verse... Uh, 17. By the way, this is right after Jesus calls the first disciples. Luke 17. One day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were all sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on, on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. 
And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Remarkable, worthy of comment, worthy of remarking. Now, what's interesting about a story like that is that is that we read a story like that. By the way, real quickly, test. How many of you ever heard that story before? Raise your hand. Look across the crowd real quick. You realize most of us have probably heard that story before, right? And it's so easy to hear a story like that and go, wow, that's cool. Kind of hot in here, you know? And we move on to something else. Instead of realizing the power of that story. You know, I was reading that story this past week and the thought occurred to me, I bet Jesus loved to tell people that story. <laughs> you know, there's some, been some moments in our ministry here at Harvest Point, and we love to go back and tell those stories about how God did something big and cool. Can you just imagine, can you put your faith imagination on with me for a minute and imagine how Jesus would retell that story? I had just started my public ministry, and, and the place was packed because of the signs and wonders that God had been doing in so many people's lives, healing their diseases and freeing them from their bondages. And one day I was in this packed house, and there were so many people that not a person could hardly move. And all of a sudden, while I was trying to teach, something started happening in the roof, and I looked up, and, and things started falling out of the top of the roof. And, and, and everybody kind of stopped for a minute. And instead of me being able to teach, everybody was thinking, what varmint, what, what critter is up in the roof? And, and all of a sudden, dirt started to fall and tiles started to move back. And there were these guys whose faces appeared. And the whole place was looking up at the ceiling. And then all of a sudden, they lowered this guy down who was paralyzed. Everybody knew he could not walk. And they lowered him right down the middle of the room. And I just remember looking up at those guys with their goofy grins. And they had lowered him right down. And I just remember thinking, those guys, those guys who loved their friend enough to break open somebody's roof, those guys were desperate to get their friend to me. But maybe the coolest thing was that they knew that I could help him. And they trusted that. Oh, man, if you only heard the thoughts I was hearing in my head by everybody in the whole crowd, especially the religious elite, how they were all thinking, oh, oh, look what he's doing, especially after I said, your sins are forgiven. Man, some of them were having a tizzy. Some of them were, were getting all bent out of shape theologically. Who is this guy that he's going to forgive sins? But you know what I remember? I remember speaking to them and telling them, which one's easier? Is it easier to tell somebody your sins are forgiven or to get up and, and tell their body, which did not work, to move again? And so just so they knew that I was God's ambassador, I said, rise, take up your mat and go home. And what I loved about it, and I'll never forget about it, is how he stood up. And he didn't just say thank you. He began to praise God as he ran out of that place and he went back to his family. I will never forget that day because what was so cool about that day was the holy urgency, the desperateness of their friends to bring that guy to me. And it changed everything for him. Don't you think Jesus loved to tell that story? I guarantee you he told a lot better than me. You know what I love about that story is the servanthood, and we're, today we're talking about resetting hands, right? How those guys use their hands to bring life to somebody else. That day, they may have just, they may have wondered what in the world was going to happen when they did that, or maybe they were just bold enough to knew that if they could get their friend to Jesus, it would change everything. They used their hands 
and it changed everything. And that story, because of how they used their hands, has been told from generation to generation down through the ages about how somebody loved, and because somebody loved, they did. And their love actually lived itself out in works with their hands. By the way, I'm your pastor, and I love seeing moments like this in our body where somebody in our body gets a holy urgency that they're going to do something. They're going to put their hands to work, and they're going to do something for somebody else. I've seen that so many times. I saw that in Whitney when Whitney learned that people, that kids were going to school hungry on the weekends, and she started Backpack Buddies here. And some other folks said, hey, we'll help you along this process, but there's a holy devotion to do something about that. I've seen that in Gretchen. Gretchen, knowing that Operation Christmas Child is being done by a lot of other churches, why can't we do it, and why can't we minister to children across the world as well? I've seen that in Mimi Young, who said, you know what? We need to make sure that we're praying for the church, and we're actually there when folks are hurting and they're grieving. We're there with food. We're there in the hospital. That's the kind of holy urgency that says, I'm going to put my hands to work, and I'm going to do something. I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on and on and on about how people in our church have seen a need and have had a holy urgency to do something with their hands to address the need. And they're no different than the guys who dug the hole in the roof that morning and lowered their friend down because they're desperate to do something with their hands to make a difference for Jesus. Now today I want to talk to you about that, what that would look like for you. And I want to talk to you frankly about you, okay? And you and you, I want to talk to you about you. And I'm not going to give you my word, I'm going to give you God's word about you and who you've been called to be and how God's wired you, how he's gifted you, how he's shaped you for service. But here's the deal. I came up with this great sermon. I thought it was great. And then, um, and then uh, somebody came up to me this week and did something that they, nobody ever does. They knew we were having a ministry fair. They knew I was going to be talking about resetting our hands and, and we're going to be talking about servanthood today. And they brought me my own sermon. And it was two, a sermon that I preached in 2002, which was basically the year, first year in the life of this church. They brought me a sermon from 2002, and they handed it to me and said, you remember? Yeah, yep, there she is. She said, she said um, I don't know what you're preaching this week, but this was a really good one that you did back in 2002. I hold on to it. And I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, but I don't preach the same sermon ever. You know, I try to always preach. And you know what? It was better. It was better than the one I'd prepared for you. So you know what I did? I'm going to preach a message that I've been preaching kind of throughout the years, but in different forms. It's 12 points. It's fast. But I think it speaks to the heart of who God's called us to be, especially where it concerns our hands. All right? I want to tell you about the servant that God's called you to be. And, and that opening scripture right there in your outline um, that, that I want to share with you is, uh, wow, have I lost my own notes? Oh, there they are. They fell off the table. Read that scripture with me from the words of Jesus, where Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever wants to become great must be a servant to others. Must be a servant. God's called us to be servants. So what would that look like if you were really understanding your God call as a servant? Now, everybody watch me real quickly. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you 12 points that I think are, are from God's word, straight out of the Bible, about who we're supposed to be. And here, I'm going to do three things in every one of those points. And I'm telling you this because I want you to be able to maybe write some stuff down that you'll remember or maybe, maybe uh, jot some notes down that would be new to you, okay? Some new thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you a, a kind of principle, a point. I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to share with you one simple thought. 
One simple thought about every one of those points, all right? And I hope it makes a lot of sense, and I hope it opens up your, your thoughts and your heart about who God called you to be. You ready? All right? So I'm going I'm I'm to go fast, all right? So if you've got your pen, the first thing right out of the gate, uh, this, how, do, how would God want to reset my hands? What would it look like if Jesus reset my hands? Why have I been called to be a servant? Number one, write this one down. I was created for service. I was created for service. That's who you, you were made for service, okay? Now look at this scripture. It says, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Two things real quickly about that scripture. The first one is that word workmanship. I've shared this with you before. You remember, right? Workmanship is actually, the Greek word is poema. It's a literal, it's the word we get our, the word poem from, all right? So picture when God's telling you this, you are God's workmanship, you are God's poema. What he's saying really is you're a sonnet, you're a poem, you're an opus, you, you are a great work of literature. This is who you are. You are, a, you are a work in progress that God is writing, that he's crafting, that he's painting, that he's sculpting. That's who you are. You are, a, you are, the, you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. If you got your pen, underline the words in advance, prepared in advance. That means that every day you get up, God's already got some good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. And you can go about your works or you can go about his works every day. I heard somebody say it yesterday. We were, I was at a memorial service and, and one of the pastors said that every day he gets up and he says, God, there are good works you prepared for me to do in this day. Show them to me, and I'll be after your good works. That's who you are. You are God's poem. You're his sonnet, and he prepared good works for you to do every day. Number two, write this one down. I'm saved for service. I'm saved. God saved you, not just so that you would uh, have eternity with him or be saved from hell. God saved you to be his servant to do good works in the world. Look at it, 2 Timothy 1.9. It is God who saved us, and then I like this, and he chose us for this holy work. If you got your pen, underline those last two words. A holy work. God has a holy work for you to do. So by the way, I see people do this all the time. They, they're trying to do good in the name of Jesus, and so oftentimes their tongue downplays what they're trying to do for God. I'm not really worthy. I don't know if it's very much. And, and they, they, what they don't understand is that the work they're doing with their hands is, is a holy work that God has called them and chosen them to do. He saved them for that holy work. It wasn't God's plan B, okay, I'm going to save you and I guess I'll put you to ministry. God's plan from the very beginning was that he would save your soul and then you would do the work of Jesus, that you would be saved for doing the work of Jesus, to, to do his good work. So it's a holy work. Whenever you serve God, you know, I told you earlier that somebody in one of these tables needs a driver, right? You think, Driving could be a holy work. Whenever you're doing a good work for God, it is a holy work. All right, you've been saved. You've been chosen for that holy work. Number three, write this one down. I've been called by God to serve. I've been called by God to serve. Now, now how do we know that? The Bible says this. It says in Galatians 1.15, God in his grace chose me, underline that, he chose me even before I was born, born and he called me, underline that, he chose me and he called me to serve him. So that means, now this is going to blow your mind, especially if you're kind of new here at Harvest Point, we, we, we believe in this thing called the priesthood of all believers. And that is that 
the work that I do is no more holy or, or more religious or more pleasing to God than the work that you do for God. Together, we are the priests of God. We're the priesthood of all believers. And so you, watch this, have been called just like I was called. Now, I happen to be called for a vocational ministry, but you've been called just like that, a different type of vocational ministry. You are called. Sometimes when I say this, I'm going to say it radically. I'm going to blow your minds for some of you. You've never heard this before. You've got to get this. You are a priest. Some of you are looking at me like, really? Come on, really? The Bible says you have been called for a holy work. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, and you've been called to be a priest. Oh, he must have messed that one up. You don't know who I am. I mean, my goodness, really? He could have called anybody else. No, here's how God works. When he saves us, he calls us to do his work, and we become priests in the name of Jesus. So what, what, if, let me tell you, if you could just grab you, this and get, get it on your mind, you are a priest of your home. You've been called a priest to be a priest in your workplace. You've been called to be a priest where you go representing Jesus. Woo, that has huge implications, doesn't it? I can't talk like I used to talk. No, you need, you need to talk like a priest, right? You need to be God's priest called into that place, guys. This is part of God's purpose for you. Now, that, that's, that's paradigm shifting, I hope. But let me tell you, 1517, 500 years exactly ago, Martin Luther nailed a 95 thesis to the wall because the church was saying, oh, people like you, they can't, they, the, you know, the, the, the clergy of the church are, are so much higher and better. And Martin Luther said, no, the Bible, my Bible, I pick it up. You know what it says about me? It says I've been called. It says I've been chosen by God to do a good and holy work and that I am a priest. The Bible calls me a priest right there in it. And Martin Luther nailed it to the door exactly 500 years ago from October the 31st of this very year so that Christians like you and me would begin to understand, you know what? I am a priest. Jesus' plan is to call me, he chose me, and to call me to put me at work for his kingdom. Does that make any sense? I've got to go. All right, number four. Write this one down. Are we on number four? All right, number four. I've been, I've been gifted for service. You have been gifted with gifts that you have for service. And they're unique. They're different from other people sitting right there next to you. Read it with me. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you, underline those next three words, some special abilities. You've been given special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Here's, here's the cool thing. God gives everybody gifts, but he doesn't give anybody all the gifts, right? And you all have special gifts. Some of you are more, you know, you can do art stuff that I can't do. Some of you can do musical instruments, and I can't do that. Some of you can, you, you have so, some of you can do math, and I'm not very good at that. I mean, so many people have so many different gifts. This morning, to help you understand that, here's that one little simple thought. I, I brought some things with me real quickly. You see these? What are they? What's that? And what's, what's this right here? Tennis racket and, and this one? Now, what's interesting about these three things, it's some common denominators. Yell them out at me. How are these things the same? Sporting equipment. I heard that one. What else? They hit a ball. That's good. Yeah, what else? You use your hands. You, you swing them. Yeah, there's a lot. So watch this. Are they the same, though? They're very different, right? They're very, now watch this. Here's what I love about it. Every one of these things were created for a different thing. Now, when you're playing golf, you don't want to be playing with this, right? 
And when you're playing golf, you don't want to be playing with this because this thing right here was created to do a certain thing. And the same thing goes for this. Now, here's another common denominator, and this is what I would want you to write in just a little left margin. Here's what I love. This is one of the common denominators. They're all different, but they each have a sweet spot. A bat has a sweet spot. And when somebody is swinging and gifted with a bat and they hit that ball in just the right sweet spot, it is a sweet feeling. And did you know the same thing is true for a tennis racket? When you're playing tennis, if you can just hit that thing in just the right sweet spot, it feels good. And any, I'm at, I can probably get an amen for golfers, right? When you hit it in the screws in the sweet spot, it has it. And here's what I want to tell you. You have been gifted by God, and you have certain sweet spots that your neighbor doesn't have. And one of, that, one of our jobs as a church is we want to help you discover your sweet spots. We want to help you discover how you've been created different than anybody else and how you're supposed to serve God and his church. Listen, listen. You have been gifted. Not the person next to you, not somebody else. Some of us downplay our gifts. You have been gifted for God's purposes. So find your sweet spot. Find the unique piece that is you and serve God in it, and you will find that it is, it is life-giving, all right? Number five, write this one down. What else can we learn about how we're supposed to be as servants? I am commanded to serve others. I have been commanded by Jesus to serve others. The Bible says this, and these are Jesus' words. Your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to, to be served, but to serve. If you got your pen, you might want to underline the words, be like my own. Our attitude needs to be like Jesus. We, he's commanded us to serve in the pattern that he served. Now, everybody watch me. Everybody look up for a minute. You, are you like me? Did you grow up in a house whenever... Did your mama ever say something like this, or your daddy ever say something? You, they told you to do something. You said, why? And they said, because I... Oh, that wasn't just me? You know what? I was like, man, that made no sense to me. You know, I said, why should I do... Because I said so. You know what I, I said to myself as a kid? I said, I'm never going to say that as a parent. That's just the stupidest thing. It only frustrated me. And then you know what I did, right? I did it. I did it. I mean, they would do something. Why I have to do it? Because I said so, you know? And it just came right out of my mouth. Here's what I want to teach you about this one little point here. We have been commanded to serve. Jesus never did that. Jesus never said serve. Why? Because I said so. It's not. Jesus modeled serving. And then, he, and then what he did was he said, listen, do what you see me doing. He said, here's my attitude. I serve. And then model that. He commanded us to serve after him. He didn't ever say, just do it because I said so. Jesus modeled servanthood. You remember what he did right before he, he, he died? He, he washed their feet and he said, listen, I'm master and Lord and that's what you call me. But what I want you to get, the big thing is, I'm a servant. And I want you to be servants too. He commanded us to serve in his model. All right? That's who we've been called to be, to serve after Jesus, and he's commanded us to do it. Here's another one, six. It proves that I belong to Christ. Write that down. It proves that I belong to Christ. The Bible says it this way. You are a part of the body. You might want to underline, I think that's uh, six, seven words. You are a part of the body of Christ, and you belong to him in order that we might be useful in the service of God. I like that, useful. You want to be useful in the service to God. Now, in the Bible, whenever God was talking about your gifts and how you serve, how you serve, how you were made and wired to serve, oftentimes it uses a metaphor um, of the body. Literally, the physical body is a metaphor of the spiritual body. So we all have different functions, 
But here's the cool thing. We're all functioning together. You know, I was thinking the other night, and I bet you've had these same kind of crazy thoughts. I never think about my pancreas, but I'm so glad it works. You know? I don't even know how it works. I don't even know what it's for, but I like how it works for me, and I don't ever have to think about it. I mean, I live every day, and I don't even think about how my, and this is a big deal, but I don't even think about how my stomach is working. But here's the cool thing, and this is, this is how the Holy Spirit is so smart. The Holy Spirit wants you to understand, and boy, if I could just go put my hands on every one of your shoulders and look at you in the eyes, you are a part of the body of Christ. Some of you guys are more visible than others. Some of us sometimes play more outward roles than others. But what I want to tell you is that every part of the body is necessary. What you have to offer matters. So if you could just get that understanding that I, I, I'm not separate from the body. I'm actually, and what's my function? Am I a finger? Am I a toe? Am I an eye? Am I a pancreas? Am I a liver? What is my function? If you begin to ask that question, now you're on the right track. You are a part. And, and when you serve, guess what? It's, it's a reminder that you belong to something bigger than yourself. I belong to the body of Christ, right? Write this one down. Uh, number seven, my church family needs my service. Really? <laughs> I don't think so, Stephen. I'm telling you, it's true because it's in the Bible. The church needs your service. Read it with me. It says, all of you together are the body of Christ. There it is again. We're the body. All of us are the body of Christ. And each of you is a separate and necessary. That means you are needed in the body of Christ. Now, real quickly, here's what you want to write out in the margin of that, of that side. Write this one down, worship plus two. If you're new to Harvest Point, you might not know what that is, but here around this place, we talk about worship plus two. If everybody in the church were to do worship plus two, the whole church would be doing a phenomenal job of ministering to this community. What is worship plus two? When, when, we, when, when the body gathers together, we worship. We are there, all right? When the body gathers in worship, unless I'm sick or I'm out of town, I'm going to be right here because I do worship. And then I do a plus two. And that's simply this. I'm a part of a growing place. I'm a part of a serving place. We want you to be growing somewhere. We want you to be serving somewhere. And when you do that, the whole boat goes, it's just lighter and it sails faster. And, 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 and when you don't do it, when you don't think your ministry is necessary, and when you only do worship and you're not doing a grow place and a serve place, just the truth, the body's missing something because you're not, you're not a part in the way you could be a part serving the body of Christ together. So the body of Christ needs your ministry. I wonder what your ministry might be. Write this one down. No, number eight, serving others is the way to serve God. Serving others, you want to find a way to serve God? Start serving others. Serving others is the way to serve God. The Bible says it this way in Colossians. And listen, this is big stuff. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men or women. And I like this last part, so underline these last few words. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You want, to read, you want to get a big picture of that? You might want to write in the margin of your notes, Matthew 25. It's a great parable there called the sheep and the goats, where Jesus is teaching about how whenever you serve, whenever you do for somebody else, you are doing it for Jesus. And Jesus says it that way. Whenever you serve other people, you're serving him. As a matter of fact, in that passage, he says, when you did it to them, you did it unto me. And boy, again, if we could get that picture that every time we serve, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, every time you're serving, you're doing it, you're serving for somebody else. You're serving Jesus, 
That would revolutionize our attitudes, right? And our motives for why we serve. You, listen, serving others is one of the ways you serve God. Now, just a couple more. Write this one down. Number nine. Number, because I owe, why do we serve? Because I owe everything to Christ. I serve and I'm a servant because I owe everything to Christ. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, because of God's great mercy to us, underline these next two words, offer yourself. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. Now, now listen, i got to brag on y'all for a minute. You guys are a phenomenally generous church. I love the fact that, that Angie asked y'all to come put change, and all of a sudden y'all put, start putting dollars in there. And, and some of you, I see $20 and $5, and that's just phenomenal. And you know what? We're going to get, I know who y'all are. Thank, thank God, it's God's grace inside of you. You are a generous church. Over the next few weeks, every week when offering is going on, we're going to be filling up these cans, and that's good. And, and listen, I want to be your, a pastor who has taught you how to give well, not just because you want to be a part of you know, a giving church, but because you love God and you love the world and you want to give to the world. But watch this, watch this. Sometimes giving money is just flat easier than giving us. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. It doesn't for some of you because you're going, ah, it's always hard for me to give money. But what I want you to understand is, listen, for you to give yourself is so important. Uh, we, in the church, we call this stewardship. And so in the margin, you might want to write, just write these, these couple, a couple of words here. Stewardship of my life. Why do I serve? Because I owe everything to God. And I don't just give of my stuff and my money. You know what I give up? I give of my life. He's a servant. He wants me to be a servant. I owe everything to him. So I'm going to give him my life through my serving acts. I, my act, I owe everything. That's why I want to act in servitude to other people. Does that make sense? Servanthood of your life because you owe everything to him. Number 10, write this one down. Because service makes my life meaningful. When I serve, I get meaning in my life. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, keep busy in your work for the Lord. <laughs> By the way, Paul was a great pastor, and I love how he just he challenged people. He assumed they were already going to be busy in their work for the Lord, and he said, keep at it. Keep, you, keep busy in your work for the Lord, since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is without value. If you have your pen, you just underline those last words. Nothing you do in the Lord's service is without value. Yesterday, I told you I was at a memorial, and a pastor stood up, and he said, and basically he was using, I'll use this money as an example. He was using money as an example for what we can do with our lives. And he took money, and he basically said, you can do, you can do three things with money. You can waste money, right? You can spend money, or you can invest money. And this, and this is the way it works. And you know what it's like to waste money, and it's gone, right? And you also know what it's like to spend money on certain things, and then you know what it's like to invest it ahead so that it can have a return at a later time. And then he said this, your life is the same way. You can waste your life, you can spend your life, or you can invest your life in the life that is to come. Now, what I want to tell you is I want to unpack that second point for just a minute because he's dead right. He's dead on, okay? But when it comes to spending our life, I've noticed two things about spending our life. We can spend our life doing trivial stuff. We all know that, right? Hey, listen, can I tell you tonight I'm going to be doing something trivial? 
at about 6.30 tonight, I'm going to be with a Super Bowl party, and I'm going to be doing something very trivial. Now, I'm doing it with church folks, so I guess maybe it's not. But anyway, um, I'm going to be pulling for the Falcons, and I'm going to be eating some buffalo wing dip, all right? That's what I'm going to be doing at 6.30 tonight. But can I also tell you that sometimes you, sometimes you can do trivial stuff, you can spend your life trivial, and then other times you can spend your life on meaningful things. And it's when you're a servant to your family, a servant to your workplace, a servant to people who don't know Christ, a servant, 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 that you're spending your life in a way that matters the most. It brings the greatest depth of meaning to you. Does that make any sense? (laughs) I meet young people all the time that are just struggling for meaning in their life. Which career path am I going to go? Am I going to go that way or that way? Listen to the word of God. Nothing, not my words, nothing that you do in the Lord's service is without value. There will always be value when you're doing it for the Lord Jesus. So do it to his glory and invest your life, spend your life that way. Just a couple last points. Number 11, number 11. Um, how do I become a greater servant? How would my, why would God want to reset my hands? Number 11, I will be held accountable for my service. I will be held accountable for how I served and what kind of servant I was. Read this in Romans 14. Each of us will have to give a personal account to God. You might want to underline that word, personal account. So you know what that means, mom? It's not going to be your kids standing there, and it's not going to be your husband or your mom or daddy standing there. It's going to be you standing there. And you'll give an account, according to Romans, for how you've served in this life. Dads, did you hear that? Grandma's granddads, did you hear that? How are you serving? Leaders in the church, did you hear that? One day you will give an account, and all the rest of us won't be there on that day. You will have served maybe shoulder to shoulder with us, doing God's great work. But you will give a personal account for how you serve. And here's here's what it all comes down to on this one. You will be held accountable for how you serve. Watch this. You're either going to live a very, very, very selfish life, or you're going to live a very, very, very selfless life. And one way is the pattern of the world, and one way is the pattern of Jesus. Oh, I want, you to, I want you to choose to be poured out like a drink offering for Jesus. I want to choose you to serve and serve and serve and serve. And then one day you'll say, well, guess what, Stephen? I'm, I'm retired, and I'm going to look at you and go, so what? Serve, 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 serve. All right, you getting it? Number 12, write this one down. Because it will be rewarded for eternity. It will be rewarded for eternity. John 12 said this, and these are Jesus' words. My Father will honor. You might want to align those four words. My Father will honor. It's a promise. My Father will honor anyone who serves me. And, and you know what? You're going to hear us talk in this church over and over again about how you're, nobody in this church is ever going to be saved from our works. We are saved by one thing alone, faith and the grace of Jesus Christ. We trust that the grace that was provided on the cross washes away our sin. You get that? But there is a cool thing about once you, once you enter into salvation in Christ, God blesses your works and he rewards your works. I don't know how this is going to work. People look at me and they say, what's it going to be like in heaven? I know a certain amount, but I don't know. I'm told that when you get to heaven, you're going to have a crown for what you've done for Jesus. So I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I know this. I'm going to have a crown and there's going to be some people going to have a bigger crown than me. And... And I don't know that it really matters because I heard one time, one time one person say, you know, you're only going to have that crown for a minute and then you're just going to cast it at the feet of Jesus. So I don't know that it really matters. But here's the cool thing. 
The Bible says that you will be rewarded for every good work you do in the name of Jesus. So there's a beautiful side of that, right? Serve him. Serve him. Serve him. And then I don't know how this is going to happen. But according to Jesus, not him, not the Holy Spirit, one day the Father will honor you. What will that be like? One day he will honor you for the work you've done. Man, do I need a reset. Do I need a reset to say, God, help me be poured out. Help me be fully devoted to you. Final thought. And then, matter of fact, would somebody help me go ahead and build a reset wall? Because we're ready to pray, all right? What's the response that, you, that I would encourage you to have about being a servant? I put it up on the screen here. Everybody look at the screen for me. See this? My response, two responses, I think, that I would encourage you to have about trying to be the servant God wants you to be. First is this. God, teach me how to serve you with complete devotion. Help me give you everything. I want to give you everything because you created me, you wired me, you gifted me, you commanded me, all those good things that we just read. Help me to serve you with complete devotion. Around here, we say it this way. I'll just let the wall get built because it's amazing. It's like, yeah, all of y'all are focused on the wall. Hey, watch this. Watch this. Around here, we say it this way. We want to be a church that grows and develops fully devoted followers for Jesus. Not halfway devoted, not partially devoted. We want to be the kind of church where you just look around and you're sitting next to people who are devoted to Jesus and we're running hard together, fully devoted together. That's what I encourage you to be. God, teach me to serve you with complete devotion, full devotion. And then the next one is this, and serve the Lord with gladness. But guys, there's joy when you serve God. There is so much joy when you get to do a good work for God. So I don't know what your reset prayer is today. It might have been around the stuff that I'm talking about today, and it might be around your hands. Or you know what? You might be at one of those weeks where I was at this week where I had to go back and say, God, reset my heart. And I had to pray another reset prayer over my heart or your mind or your voice. I just love how God's been hearing our prayers and how together we've been praying these prayers together to God. Where do you need a reset? On that little sheet of paper talk to Jesus. Roll it up. Nobody's going to read it. And I'll meet you at the reset wall. Can I pray for you real quickly? In the next few minutes, God, as we ask you to reset us, would you, would you do what we can't do for ourselves? Would you clean out the junk? Would you clean out the junk of our minds and the junk of our hearts? Would you set us back to optimum so that we can function the right way? Wash us clean. Hear our prayers and meet us in this place. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.